we, we live, according to the Bible, in a, in a special time period. This is the last age. We live in a time period between when, when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he returns again to earth. That time period is called the church age. It's also called the last days. I know I've talked, as we've gone through the Olivet Discourse, I've talked about how you can't know the timing of the end, but this much we know. If you ever hear somebody talk about these are the last days, they're not wrong. This is the last age. And when Jesus, the end of this age will be the end of this world as we know it. So how are we supposed to live as the church in the church age? That's really the main idea of the Olivet Discourse, this longish sermon that Jesus taught his disciples on the Mount of Olives during the last week of his life. Uh, We've been studying it for five weeks. We'll finish it next week. It's just this one sermon about the end times, about about Jesus' second coming, especially the culmination of of those times. But the main idea for us, when we know the certainty that God has a plan for the end of this age, that Jesus will return, that we will all stand before the Lord in judgment, not to be judged as to whether or not we get into heaven or eternal life or not, that's by faith alone. But we will stand before the Lord to be judged in how we lived for Him as Christians. And Jesus has been encouraging us, he started last week, encouraging us to live ready. We won't know when we will stand before the Lord. It could be today. So we need to live ready. We don't want to try to time it and try to hurry up and get ready before we meet him. We want to live every day ready. Now what's that look like? That's what Jesus began teaching us last week. He taught a series of three parables in the Olivet Discourse. The parable of the talents is what we're going to study this morning. That's the last one of the three. Last week, we looked at two talents, or excuse me, two parables, where Jesus taught a couple of aspects of what readiness looks like. Last week, we learned readiness looks like. If we're ready to meet the Lord, that looks like routine faithfulness, right? In our day-to-day lives, godly character. And then in the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we learned that readiness looks like continual growth as Christians, maturity as Christians. We need to constantly be filling our lamps, fueling our fire for the Lord. We don't know when it will be our time to shine for Him. And today, Jesus is going to teach us that those two things are not enough. They're important, they're vital. In fact, what he's going to teach us today can't be done if we don't do those first two things. We have to be be faithful on a routine, day-to-day basis where God has put us. And we need to be growing. We need to learn more and more about the Lord. But today he's going to be more interested in what do we do with our godly character and our preparation What do we do? How do we invest our character and our preparations for the kingdom? Jesus made a promise, a big promise in this book of Matthew. He said, I will build my what? 
I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not stop me from doing that. So Jesus will build the universal church, but he wants us to be involved. He's invited us to be involved. And we're going to learn today, Jesus has given every single one of us what we need, everything we need to be involved as he builds his church. There's a million different ways to do that. We might strengthen uh, and, and, and care for people within the church. We might minister to people outside of the church in his name, hoping they will become a part of the church. We might be his hands and his feet and his comforters and his whatever. But every single one of us have what we need to sort of come along with Jesus while he builds his church. And in a big way, we're going to be judged based on how we, as believers, and how we do that. We don't want to be like the guy in one of uh, Dr. Lois Cheney's books. She writes this story. It's a joke. It's a made-up story. Don't get bent out of shape. But she writes this. She says a lot of people are sort of like this. She says, once a man said, if I only had some extra money, I'd give it to God. But I have just enough to support myself and my family. And the same man said, if I had some extra time, I would give that to God. But every minute is taken up with my job, my family, my clubs, and, and what have you, every single minute. And the same man said, if I had a talent, I'd give that to God. But I have no lovely voice. I have no special skill. I've never been able to lead a group. I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I would like to. And God was touched. And although it was unlike him, God decided to give this man all three of those things. Money, time, and a glorious talent. And then God waited and waited and waited and never received any of those things. So after a while, God shrugged his shoulders and he took all those things right back from the man, the money, the time, and the glorious talent. After a while, the man sighed and said, if I only had some of that money back, I would give it to God. If I only had some of that time back, I'd give it to God. If I only could rediscover that glorious talent, I'd give it to God. And God said, oh, come on. And then the man told some of his friends, you know, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore. It's kind of a funny story, but it's pretty easy to be like that guy. We don't want to wind up like that guy. Jesus teaches in the parable of the talents today that it's important to invest what he has given and the work he has given for us will be judged on that. It's a story of a master, a lord, a very rich man who gives some of his servants a nest egg to, uh, to, in, to invest. And am I on there? There we go. And then he returns to judge based on their investment. Let's read this passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. They read this way. For it, and that's the second coming of Christ. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another one, uh, to another, one talent each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. 
In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to at least have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Usually when I teach through a parable, I like to teach through what happens in the story and then we get to lessons sort of at the end. But I want to start this morning with something that we learn. I want to start with a lesson right up front because I think it's very important and it's easy to miss or misunderstand by reading this. And that is this. Every single one of us has already been given a treasure, an extremely valuable treasure. All of us. Here's how we see that in the passage. The Lord in this story, the rich man in this story who goes away, he does not give to his servants, to his slaves, some trifling little amount of money. Do not think of the parable of the talents as if it were the parable of the nickels. Don't think of that as like the master gives the first guy five nickels and pats him on the head, and the second guy two nickels, and the last guy one nickel, and says, don't spend it all in one place. I'll see you in a while. It's not like that at all. These were treasures these guys got, extremely valuable ones. A talent is the largest denomination in the Roman system of currency, a talent was approximately equal to 6,000 days wages for the average laborer. That's a lot of days. A lot of days. So I did some, a little bit of research and a little bit of math. And so I tried to, so I could put this, these gifts in sort of modern American equivalents. Okay. There are, uh, and I found these, 
this on the internet, so it has to be true, right? This, this, that's the way the internet works, I heard. But what I, what I found is the average American annual income in 2019 is $56,516. Uh, $56, that's the average. Um, this isn't on the screen, but there are 261 workdays in the average year. Okay, so I did a little math and came up with the average American daily wage is $217. So that, to put the talents thing in equivalence we can understand, okay, five talents would be 2017 times 6,000 times five. So that first guy was given the approximate equivalent of $6.5 million to invest. The second guy who got two talents was given $2.6 million to invest. The third guy who only got one talent got $1.3 million to invest. So whatever that the last guy does, don't think of it as like he's sore because he only got this one little tiny talent. That's not what's going on at all. They all receive a treasure. Now, they're not all treated the same. They get the treasure in differing capacities. And in the text, we're told they were given each according to his ability. Here's what we learned. We've all been given a treasure and different amounts of it. That means this can't be eternal life because eternal life is the same amount for everyone. It's eternal. The treasure is the opportunity to be involved in kingdom work. And we have different capacities for that. We have different abilities. We could go around the room. We, we, have, different, um, uh, we have different musical abilities. We have different teaching and speaking abilities. We have, we have different personalities. We have different intellectual capacities. All these things. Different craftsmanship abilities. All these things are different capacities. But we don't get judged. These guys will not be judged based on how much they make the master, but the faithfulness they were at investing what they have been given. So if I use, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. Don't know if you knew. Billy Graham was a preacher. Is my capacity in my ministry the same equal to Billy Graham's? No, Billy Graham's more five-talent guy. I'm more one-talent guy. But what we're going to see is everyone has the, the, the opportunity for the exact same reward. When I stand before the Lord, I have the opportunity to have exactly the reward that Billy Graham received when he stood before the Lord, not because as many people will be converted in my ministry, but I'll be judged on my faithfulness to where I, of where I was put. Does that make sense? And I, preachers are probably a bad example. Whatever you have been gifted with, whatever your capacities are, you have the exact same opportunity for the exact same reward that Billy Graham got. You won't be judged based on converting football stadiums worth of people, which Billy Graham didn't do either, but God did. But how faith, what, how you invested what you have been given. 
Also note, everything everyone gets in the parable comes from the Lord. It is all God's to begin with. So that's what these guys receive. This valuable stewardship. And we see how they get to work in the next three verses, 16 through 18. The first two guys, um, they, the New American translates it very literally. They traded with them. They took that money and they traded with them. That's a figure of speech that's short for like business activity. They just started investing somehow the master's money. The third guy, we'll call him one talent guy. He dug a hole and he buried that money in a hole. And that's not as strange as it sounds to us. It was not unusual in that day and in that part of the world uh, to, to keep your valuable things from getting stolen. You would hide it. You would bury it somewhere where only you knew where it was. So he was, didn't put it to work, though. That's the idea. And then verse 19, I snuck the beginning of it. Oh, go back one more, Jeff, real fast. Sorry. Verse 19, I snuck the beginning of it at the end begins this way, after a long time, the master returned. The late Warren Wearsby writes about this passage. We all live in this little space between verse 18 and verse 19. The Lord has given to each of us what he is going to give to each of us. We've been blessed. We've been given what we have to work with. And now we are waiting for a long time for the Lord to return. When the Lord returns, we'll stand before him and we'll be judged based on what we did with what he gave. In verses 19 through 23, we see the reward of the two faithful servants. After a long time, the master in the story returns and five talent guy and two talent guy have been faithful. They've each doubled their money. Right? Five talent guys said, I got five more. Two talent guys said, I got two more. And even though five talent guy made the master over twice as much money as two talent guy did, they each receive the same commendation from the Lord, don't they? In fact, look up at the screen here. Have I quoted on the screen there verse 21 or verse 23? You can't tell. Jesus is very intentional. He said, the Lord, the master in the story, word for word, says the exact same thing to the guy that only made him two talents as he said to the guy that made him five talents. Again, we're not judged based on a scale, based on how great our work is, but how faithful our work is. And this is an amazing commendation. If you want some encouragement this morning, this is the part where you pay attention because this is awesome. I, I don't know. I don't even know if we could understand how awesome it would be one day to stand before Jesus, literally before God and everybody, and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you like to hear that one day? Would that be awesome one day? Well done, Dion. Well done, Doug. Mercy, you have been faithful. Would that be awesome? That would be awesome. Every single one of us, 
in spite of our capacities, what we have, what we don't have, have the equal opportunity to hear those words. But that's not the best part of this commendation and the reward. There's a little clue at how awesome God's rewards must be tucked into this commendation here. Um, We'll take five talent guy for an example here. He started with five talents that we said was about six and a half million dollars, right? Straight cash, homie, right? Six and a half million million dollars. Now he's doubled that, which means how much does he have? Thank you. 13, a carry to two, ought not as ought. Yes, 13. million he's holding out to the master. I don't know if he's got a Brinks truck there or what, but that's a lot, right? Check out what the master says. He's looking at $13 million cash, and he says, wow, you have been faithful in a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. I don't know what God's system of rewards looks like. But if the reward for faithfulness makes $13 million cash look like some trifling little few amount, I want to find out what the many looks like. It dwarfs $13 million cash. And we all have the opportunity for that. By the way, again, our reward is to serve him in his kingdom You were in charge of a few things. Now you get to serve me in many things. There's the reward. Our reward will be how do we serve Christ in his kingdom. But that's not the best part of this commendation either. It gets better. But wait, there's more. The last thing he says is, now enter into the joy of your master. Pay attention to what the Lord does not say here. He does not say, you've been so faithful, enter into the joy that you have earned by your faithfulness and your hard work. They do get something for their faithfulness and hard work. That's a job in the kingdom. But the joy they get belongs to someone else. It's the joy of whom? The master. Who do you suppose is represented by the master in this story? Who is the Lord, the master who's been away for a long time, but is going to come back one day to judge us. What's his name? Jesus. That's who this judge is. Now, is, is there a special kind of joy that Jesus earned while he was alive on earth? Do you know what kept Jesus going as he went toward the cross besides just blind obedience? The joy set before him. I want to show you one verse from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says, For the joy set out for him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he has taken it at the right hand, taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see what kept Jesus going toward the cross? There's joy that I'm going to get if I'm obedient the cross. This blows my mind. I, I don't know how this works. I don't know how to wrap my head around it. But somehow, Jesus, who before he emptied himself and came to earth as a baby, he was God, creator of the universe. I don't know how you can have more joy than being God. 
But here's what the Bible tells us. When he came to earth and was faithful, he earned even more, grander, better joy by being faithful to the cross. Do you think God the Father was proud of Jesus for being obedient to death on the cross? Do you think he was proud of his boy? Do you think God the Father knew how to prepare a reward and a joy for his son and his faithfulness? Yes. Now go back. No, forward for you. I'm not clicking anything in my Jeff. Okay. Jesus says, we will hear one day, enter into the joy of your master. You want to know what eternal life is? Eternal life that comes by faith in Jesus Christ is where we get to enter into the joy Jesus earned through his faithfulness. Ahead of us, we have an, op- we have an opportunity to hear good and faithful servant, well done. We do have uh, to, the ability to sort of earn a job in his administration, in his millennial kingdom, but every single person who comes to know Jesus as their Savior gets to enter into the joy he earned. That's pretty good truth. Now we have to, unfortunately, leave this uh, bliss and encouragement for a minute to discuss the other side of this scenario because in verses 24 through 28, and I'll throw in verse 30 also, we see the judgment of one talent guy, the one who buried his treasure rather than investing it. As soon as one talent guy sees his master returning, he starts to offer excuses. He sees his master returning and he says, before the master can say anything, he says, sir, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. That's why I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Do you hear what, do you you see what the master's being accused of right there? I put this in more human perspective. Which farmer should I pick on here this morning? Tim, you win. If I stood up here and said, everybody, I want you to know what Tim's been doing. Tim harvests where he does not plant. What have I just accused him of doing? Stealing someone else's crop. A guy could about make a go of it farming if that was, if if, if you could do that. Farmers don't write that down. This is the bad example. You can't do that. He just, he just accused the Lord Somebody else plants and you come and harvest it and take all the, all the profit. Here's the argument. I know you gave me this treasure, but I knew what would happen if I went to work for you. I would just have to give everything back to you anyway. In the end, you would come and just take it. Why would I spend all this time when I wasn't going to get anything out of all this work? That's the argument. I'm going to spend all this time planning and working and you're going to come by and take it all back. So I buried yours in the ground and I spent my time working on more important things. Notice, his master answered, 
you evil and lazy slave, or you're wicked and lazy slave. That's not a compliment. And notice next, does the Lord refute what this guy, the charge against him? Does the Lord say, I do not harvest where I haven't planted? That's not at all what I do. He doesn't say that. You know why? That is what God does. Does God take, allow people to work and he gets the harvest and the glory and the growth? Yeah. Yeah. Look what the Lord says. Master answered, you evil and lazy slave. So you knew that's the way I work. You knew I harvest where I didn't sow. You knew I gather where I didn't scatter. That's why you wouldn't work for me. You spent your time doing your own stuff. You knew this was coming and you still wasted this opportunity. The treasure is the opportunity to go to work for the Lord and he buried it because he had more important things to do. That doesn't sound familiar to anybody, does it? You want to know why? I think the most important reason why people in our culture who have heard about Jesus, who understand what happened at the cross and why it happened, but still do not want to belong to any church, do not want to to really work, do not want to be involved in the work of the gospel, don't want to encourage people, don't want to visit people, don't want to cook for people, don't want to disciple people, don't want to be discipled. They don't want to be involved. Answer the question, why do people not want to? Why? I got better things to do. I got, I'm too busy. I got other stuff going on. Why? Why would I want to take the only day off? You've heard this. Some of us have said this. The only day off I get Sunday morning. Why? Why would I waste that time going to church? This, that's one talent guy. He knew how it would work. But he buried his treasure. The opportunity, he had to go to work for the king. You know the difference between five and two talent guy and one talent guy? It has nothing to do with their capacities. The difference is the first two love the Lord. And one talent guy didn't. One talent guy loved himself. I'm not going to go to work for the Lord. Jesus has told us in this book there will be weeds among the wheat, sheep among the wolves. There will be people gathered with the wedding guests who aren't really clothed in wedding attire. And all those things represent the same, the same thing. There will be people who sometimes gather with Christians, consider themselves Christians, aren't really Christians. Listen. The reason this guy wouldn't go to work for the Lord is because he didn't love the Lord. Like, he got it. He understood mentally what had happened. But he didn't love the Lord. And he was thrown in a place where there'll be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. What was taken away from him was not his eternal life. He never had that. What was taken away was his opportunity. The opportunity is not eternal. It's temporary. Jesus gives us the principle of the parable in verse 29. I'll call it, use it or lose it. That's our, with our opportunity, we use it or lose it. For the one who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. That last part's where it gets confusing, right? The one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. How do you take something away from someone who doesn't have anything? You want to know the answer? When it's an opportunity, an opportunity can be taken away. The one who has, the one who has that opportunity and who is faithful and fruit happens and growth happens and people are strengthened and people are encouraged, even more opportunities for service. You've been faithful in a little. I'm going to put you in charge of much, right? That's the one who has given more. The one who does not have, the one who has an opportunity and just buries it and does nothing with it, he's even going to lose his opportunity. She's even going to lose her opportunity to be involved one day. A Swiss theologian named Edward Schweitzer, he wrote this about this verse, this concept. He's, he said, where God's gift has already borne fruit, God gives in superabundance, gives more opportunity to serve in superabundance. But where it has remained fruitless, that opportunity is lost completely. This means that God's gift can never be passively possessed. It's like a muscle. It must be worked and stretched or it withers. I'll give you four truths to take home from this parable of the talents. First, God expects us to invest what we've been given for the sake of his kingdom. God expects us to take what we've been given and use it for a harvest for him that he is going to get one day. And it doesn't matter how we work. Uh, Paul said this way once, somebody plants, somebody waters, Somebody fertilizes, somebody uh, does tillage, somebody does all these things, but God causes the growth. It's ultimately his harvest. We're invited to be a part of that. Now, do not misunderstand me. How hard we work, how faithful we are in this process of bringing in a harvest for him does not get us into eternal life. It doesn't. We get to eternal life just by believing that Jesus already took my punishment. But Paul wrote about this relationship between our faithfulness in the work and our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you are saved. There's eternal life. You are saved. How? Through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. You didn't do anything to get it. It's a gift. It's not from works, verse 9 says, so that no one can boast. Right? Nothing I did gets me eternal life. But verse 10. Okay, for we are his workmanship. This, work, this could be masterpiece. I think it's poema. It's like a beautiful poem. We are God's masterpiece. Do you know that? Because God could take a wretch like me and make me shine like his son one day. We are his masterpiece. Having been created in Christ Jesus, we were given salvation for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. I want to show you the relationship here. When you come to, when you come to understand, when you come to believe and trust in Christ for your salvation, you are saved through faith. It's done. But you have good works that you may do. You believe in Jesus Christ. You are saved. He has good works created for, for you before you were ever born that you may do, which also means you may not. The question is, who do we work for? God expects us to do the works he had for us, to be involved in building his church, his kingdom. That's number one. Number two, God desires active service more than passive innocence. I mentioned this at the beginning. If we were teaching these three parables, the two last week and today, like all at the same time, this would be more obvious. Last week was basically be of godly character and always be preparing yourself for service. But those two things aren't enough. I cannot be very moral, very good, very self-disciplined, and constantly learning more about the Bible and think I'm, I've done enough because we're judged on what we do with what we've been given. God desires active service more than passive innocence. Three, anytime I feel like God is a competitor for my resources, my time, my money, my abilities, my whatever, that's where I need to check my love for my Lord. That was one talent guy's problem. He wouldn't work for the Lord because he didn't love the Lord. Those who love the Lord will serve the Lord. And fourth and finally, God is concerned with our faithfulness with what we have been given. God is not hung up on what he hasn't given us. That's where we get hung up. We all have the equal opportunity for the same reward. Good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. How sad it will be for some of us. I don't want to stand before the Lord and realize I've spent my whole life working on what is really few and trifling. I've wasted the opportunity to be involved in his work, his harvest. Pray with me and we'll close. 
Father God, we want to be your servants. We want to be good and faithful slaves. God, I thank you for teaching and reminding and convicting and encouraging for the encouragement of how wonderful eternal life must be. The joy you deserved and you earned can be ours if we believe in you. And then the job you have for us to serve you in your millennial kingdom. We can can obtain that by how we serve you now. God, help our love for our master to encourage us to work for what is yours, your glory and your honor. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.